I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. And today we're doing something a little bit different. Instead of featuring an individual poet, we're devoting this episode to a book, a fabulous anthology called Native Voices, Indigenous American Poetry, Craft, and Conversations. And we're talking with one of the editors, Dean Rader. And uh, this, this book is different. And um, it's not just a collection of poems. And actually, Dean, why don't you tell us a little bit about why this book's different? Well, first of all, thank you very much, Charlie, for having me on the show. It's a real honor to be here, and it's great to be talking about this book that I'm really proud of and excited is now out in the world. So the book, uh, Native Voices, uh, is an unusual anthology of contemporary Native American poetry. It's published by Tupelo Press. And... There are two things in particular that make this book unique. Um, unlike other anthologies of Native American poetry, uh, we asked uh, individual poets to either write a specific craft essay, an essay about poet, poetic craft, uh, so it's not just a smattering of poems. It is uh, a collection of poems that also has uh, an essay attached to it. And we were really interested in that because, as you know, so many people tend to go to Native American writing, whether it's fiction or poetry, for its content, what I call its aboutness, um, mm -hmm. that they go to these texts in order to kind of engage with uh, what they imagine to be Native American culture. And mm -hmm. as we've seen over the last several years, when teachers or scholars talk about writing by people of color, they almost never talk about uh, literary form or poetic form. It's always whatever the poem is about, whatever the, the writers are saying about their neighborhood or their tribe mm -hmm. or their culture. And what we wanted to do was... Um, put together an anthology that did a lot of different work. Of course, we have these amazing poems that talk about colonialism and the reservations and difficult situations um, on Native lands and the history of the colonial project and the oral tradition and the individual's relationship with land and nature. But we also wanted to foreground the poetics the artistry uh, of uh, what we think are some of the best poems being written um, across the globe. And then uh, the other really interesting thing is we asked poets along the same line to give us what they thought of as an influencing text, one poem that seemed to be really inspirational in terms of their poetics. And, uh, the poems that folks chose were, I think, for a lot are going to be for a lot of people pretty surprising because they are not all poems written by indigenous writers. It was sort of runs the gamut of 20th century American and foreign poets. So you've got um, this very interesting collection of poets that begins with 
um, some of the elder states people of American writing, like Leslie Marmon Silco and Carter Rivard and Louis Erdrich and Joy Harjo, and goes all the way up uh, to some of the most award-winning and most exciting younger poets, like Laylee Long Soldier. So it's a uh, it's a really unique book that I think people will be captivated by. Yeah, it was it was great to see the familiar you know names in there that I flipped to at first I'll admit and then all the names that I did not know at all and uh, that's like for the future like that's references to go to the library and find these people and and read more uh, from them so it's it's really extremely to me ex personally extremely useful you know I like seeing Erdrich and uh, uh, Ortiz and, and others you know and, and then the, to find those new voices was just uh, yeah it's really exciting because I've got a lot of a lot of poets I can look into now. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you, I'm glad. <laughs> and on the influence thing, like what you're saying, I, I guess, well, I wasn't going to jump right to Harjo because she's being the poet laureate and all that. People who don't remember or notice that we have our first a Native American poet laureate for the country. Yeah. But her, her influences were rather interesting. Say she was influenced by nature, but then... Uh, she said something about the way her mother introduced her to things. And I'm going to read a little, a couple of lines from that because of what, the way she said it. I, I really liked it. And it's might surprise some people. My mother's the one who gave me poetry. And for her, poetry and music were the same creature. creature. She wrote beautiful ballads to be sung by broken-hearted women. William Blake was one of her favorite poets. And she loved voices like Patsy Cline, Nat King Cole, and Hank Williams. And uh, she says, these have influenced me. I can hear them in some of my poems. And I thought, no, well, there you go. People may not, you may not think about her sitting out there, uh, out there in the West, uh, Hank Williams and Patsy Cline, big influences. Oh, yeah, that same message she talks about how She's sort of equally influenced by Jimi Hendrix, Native American stomp dancers, right. Thomas Hardy, the Bhagavad Gita, right? All of these things. I mean, her brain is so eclectic and everything is kind of going in there and swirling together. Um, I love uh, her response because I think a lot of readers assume that indigenous writers are just reading or influenced by indigenous writers or maybe by, you know, indigenous myths. And to see all of these writers talk about the plurality of their influences, I think yeah. it's going to be eye-opening to a lot of readers. Yeah, yeah. Well, would you read a poem from the book? We, we always include poetry, and since we've got you here and you know the book so well, uh, I'd like you to read a, a few poems while we're here together. Well, well, I was really glad that you mentioned Joy Harjo as uh, the Poet Laureate, and I had picked a poem by her to read as... Oh. Okay. As you noted, she is the first uh, Native American poet laureate of the United States. And in fact, I just got to see her. She came to San Francisco, where I live, about a month ago. And uh, her assistant, Jennifer Elise Forrester, who's also in the anthology uh, and is a good friend of mine, she and I got to hang out with Joy for a little bit. So mm -hmm. it was uh, uh, great timing for her and for the book that her poet laureateness kind of overlaps <laughs> with um, – this larger conversation being held now about the role of indigenous writing in, 
in the history of America. Well, there's a lot of great poems by her that I could read. Her most famous is a really wonderful poem called She Had Some Horses. Yeah. Um, but that's a little long. So yeah. I thought instead what I would read is a slightly lesser known poem by her, but one that um, fans of hers love, and it's called A Post-Colonial Tale. So here's Post-Colonial Tale by Joy Harjo, who, by the way, is from the great state of Oklahoma. She's Muskogee Creek from Oklahoma, which is also where I'm from. A Post-Colonial Tale. Every day is in reenactment of the creation story. We emerge from dense, unspeakable material through the shimmering power of dreaming stuff. This is the first world and the last. One, we abandon ourselves for television, the box that separates the dreamer from the dreaming. It was as if we were stolen, put into a bag carried on the back of a white man who pretends to own the earth and the sky. In the sack were all the people of the world. We fought until there was a hole in the bag. When we fell, we were not aware of falling. We were driving to work or to the mall. The children were in school learning subtraction with guns. We found ourselves somewhere near the diminishing point of civilization, not far from the trickster's bag of tricks. Everything was as we imagined it. The earth and stars and leaf imagined with us. When we fell, we were not aware of falling. We were driving to work or to the mall. The children were in school learning subtraction with guns. Mm. The imagining needs praise, as does any living thing. We are evidence of this praise. And when we laugh, we are indestructible. No story or song will translate the full impact of falling or the inverse power of rising up, of rising up. Our children put down their guns when we did to imagine with us. We imagined the shining link between the heart and the sun. We imagined tables of food for everyone. We imagined the songs. The imagination conversely illumines us, speaks with us, sings with us, loves us. Mm. She is so good. Um, yeah, she's great. Uh, did she, did Love she, that poem. Did she have musical accompaniment out there uh, when you saw her? You know what she did? She she brought um, she brought her saxophone. Her yeah. I think she brought the alto sax, the little one. Yeah. Um, and she played it. Um, and sometimes she had a kind of like musical track going mm. uh, that would ha that would be sort of her band, and she would play a little bit on the instrument. And then she would recite a poem, and then she would like go back to the instrument. It was pretty cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw her in Chicago, and she had a she had a guy with her who was on the conga, and uh, he had the conga drum. She had her sax, and she had these lovely, fantastic bells around her uh, calves, around her ankles. They were about maybe eight inches thick, this big leather thing with bells on it. So she could easily just keep this little rhythm going by just barely tapping her foot. It was really good. She she knows how to how to do that thing really well. Yeah, and she so. really knows how to command a stage too. Mm -hmm. She just took over the room and uh was kind of met this magnetic presence. Yeah, anyone gets a chance to see Joy Harjo should not miss the opportunity. Because she's really Yeah, I good. agree. You know, the, another interesting thing I noticed is that and it's part of a, a characteristic of the book is that 
Uh, so she talked about being influenced by Hank Williams and, and yeah, Jimi Hendrix, etc. And then elsewhere in the book, uh, two other poets are influenced by her. Yes, and exactly. That's, that's part of what happens as you go through the book, and suddenly someone is saying, "Oh, I was influenced by this person," and that you know that you read earlier, and it was it just it was just very interesting to see, uh, just just yeah, it was. And uh, another influence that I noted because I thought he was a very interesting guy who's not with us anymore is, uh, I guess as his name is Cedar Saigo. Is that how you pronounce his uh, name? Cedar Seagull. Yeah, Cedar Seagull was influenced by John mm -hmm. Trudell. And I mean, yeah. not, not too many you know, Native American guys have rock and roll bands, but John Trudell did. That's right. And, uh, yeah. and, and then in the book, you have Rant and Roll, uh, one, one of John's yeah. really interesting uh, poems, songs, whatever you want to call it. So uh, if somebody reads this book and finds John Trudell, that's another good thing. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> Uh, I don't think Trudell has gotten nearly uh, enough attention. Um, and I know that um, uh, after he passed, um, there were several people who were talking about how there really needs to be some major remembrance of him and his work because mm. uh, I think he was influential in uh, the, the indigenous world on a number of different levels as uh, an activist, as a musician, as a writer, and as this uh, kind of larger than life leader within the resistance movement. Um, he was really an important guy to a lot of people. Yeah, I have no idea how I found him years ago, but, uh, you know, about him, but yeah, very interesting guy. And, and as I said, it's, it's just, uh, it's cool to hear this rock and roll band that he had together. Uh, they were they were good. So, you, Agreed. You know, by the way, folks, at the outset, I was so excited about this book. I forgot to mention anything about Dean except that he edited, co-edited this book. And I want to tell you that he has written or edited, co-edited eleven books, including Works and Days, uh, which just got the T. S. Eliot Award. And Bullets into Bells, Poets and Citizens Respond to Gun Violence, published by Beacon Press. And uh, Dean teaches at the University of San Francisco. We mentioned he's out there. And he is having a good time with a Guggenheim Fellowship that he got in 2019. Just wanted to get that in there. So if you're looking, Dean Rader, R-A-D-E-R, -E that's how you can look him up. Now back to the book. <laughs> You yeah, want to, you want, you want more interesting it? than me. Wow. <laughs> well, it, we wouldn't have it without you. So you want you want to read another poem? <laughs> Pick another poem. Yeah. Like so I, I actually this, want you know? to read a poem that is one of my favorites in the book, and apparently it's one of your favorites as well, which uh, oh. was really heartening. And this is a poem by Wendy Rose, who also lives in California. Um, Wendy. Uh, was one of the first indigenous poets that I wrote about um, when I was just out of grad school. Um, I think that she, um, a little bit like Trudell, uh, her work is really underappreciated in the world of American letters and American poetry. She has uh, one of my single favorite poems of the 20th century, this kind of unbelievable poem called Alien Seeds, um, in which... She sort of talks about how um, 
the plants outside her window in California were all brought by immigrants and how none of the kind of native uh, uh, grasses and plants of California can she see. And it becomes this metaphor for like this old notion of, you know, immigration and roots and uh, indigeneity. It's really, it's really phenomenal. But the poem that's in um, the book was um, selected as an influencing text by Deborah Miranda. Um, this amazing, uh, amazing poet who now lives uh, on the East Coast, teaches at Washington and Lee University. Mm. But she selected this poem called Excavation at Santa Barbara Mission. And um, uh, one of the things that uh, Wendy has been calling attention to for a long time is the role that Native communities played in the settlement of California, but more specifically, the history of uh, reprehensible violence enacted on Native communities uh, within the mission system. And so this is the poem called Excavation at Santa Barbara Mission by Wendy Rose. And there's a little epigraph to it. It's this. When archaeologists excavated Santa Barbara Mission in California, they discovered human bones in the adobe walls. My pointed trowel is the artist's brush that will stroke and pry, uncover and expose the old mission wall. How excited I am for like a dream. I wanted to count myself among the ancient dead as a faithful neophyte resting there and in love with the Padres and the Spanish hymns. A feature juts out. Marrow like lace, piece of a skull, upturned cup, finger bones scattered like corn and ribs interlaced like chola. So many bones mixed with the blood from my own knuckles that dig and tug in the yellow dust. How fragile they have become to float and fall with my touch. Brittle white tips shivering into mist. How helpless I am for the deeper I go, the more I find crouching in white dust, listening to the whistle of long bones breaking apart like memories. My hands empty themselves of old dreams, drain the future into the moisture of my boot prints. Beneath the flags of three invaders, I am a hungry scientist, sustaining myself with bones of men and women asleep in the wall who survived in their own way. Spanish swords, Franciscans and their rosary whips who died among the reeds to wait. Communion wafers upon the ground, too holy, for the priests to find. They built the mission with dead Indians. 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 That's poetry. How good is that poem? <laughs> no, it's a fabulous. And, and she does that repetition at the end. And that's, what, that's so beautiful. That's poetry. You know, in prose, you wouldn't repeat that four times. But then it just well comes that line right through, that line you know that first line it comes out of nowhere you do not think that line is coming and then she repeats it again and again and again you know that number four comes up you know yeah. often in a lot of uh, indigenous indigenous rituals uh, oh, and, yeah. and that's kind of like an incantation you know or a prayer right. there it's absolutely haunting fabulous yeah it's fabulous I just yeah I went right out and bought the book. 
uh, uh, I forget the title. It has bones in the title, but it's it's meant reference here in Native Voices. I went right out and bought it, and it's I love it. Oh yeah. Oh, bone dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As soon as I read book. it, I just went to the computer and clicked right into Amazon and bought that baby. <laughs> <laughs> Two days later, yeah. I was reading it. <laughs> it's just so good. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I highly recommend you and your readers. You can Google uh, Wendy uh, Rose Alien Seeds and check out okay. that poem. Yeah. It's a game changer. I teach so, it every semester. Ah, uh, super. I will go back to say a little bit more about what I said very briefly early on. Um, my co-editor, um, Cindy Marie Furman, and I, we really wanted to uh, create a book that would serve a lot of different people, both um, poets who might be looking uh, to indigenous poetry to see what the native uh, writers of this country are working on. Two, we wanted a book that might be able to be used in creative writing classrooms. We wanted to put together a book that really highlighted poetic craft, but we were also interested in putting together a fairly comprehensive anthology of Native poetry. So our book is the only book out there that um, reaches all the way to writers like Leslie Marmon Silco, or Louise Erdrich, who readers may know for their yeah. fiction, but who really began as poets, mm-hmm. um, and then goes all the way up to these uh, very, uh, very young, edgy poets. So my friend Hyde Erdrich, uh, Louise Erdrich's sister, she edited a really nice um, anthology for Grey Wolf Press, but it's only poets um, who were publishing since 2001, so it's oh. very recent. We wanted a book that um, uh, professors yeah. could use in their classrooms that would really give a sweep so people wanted to you know, assign a poem by Leslie Silco or a poem by Leanne Howe or, and a poem by Sherwin Bitsui, a poem by Cedar Sego. Yeah. Um, then, then they could do that. And you could sort of get um, this sweep of poetry that's been being written and published since uh, the 60s. So yeah. I'm very happy with um, what I think of as the scope of our book. It's a really ambitious ambitious project that uh, we think uh, does real service, not just to indigenous writing, but to American poetry in general. Yeah, I, I think anyone who thinks they, they have a good personal collection of of poetry uh, would want to have this book to fill this. Yes, I agree. To fill that space, I think we have time for you to do one more poem, and I would love that. Just cause. All right, I, I like to give a, people poetry. I'm gonna po- yeah, I'm going to read a poem by a young poet whose work I absolutely love. Uh, a guy named Michael Wesson, who is currently living in Japan, hmm. and his poems. They kind of blow me away. His first book is coming out um, with my press, uh, Copper Canyon, the press that I publish with, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited for our readers to see his work. I think he is one of the most lyrically gifted uh, poets in the anthology. And he writes a lot about um, history, and he writes a lot about um, very early colonial wars, like from the 1600s, 
And a lot of his poems also interact with um, religion and faith and belief. And this is one of uh, my favorite poems in the whole book. And it's called This Dusk and a Mouthful of Prayer. And it is this lovely poem about love and faith and belief and death and really kind of um, toes the line between uh, the sacred and the profane. Mm. So this is Michael Wesson, W-A-S-S-O-N, this purse, I believe. And this is the poem, This Dusk and a Mouthful of Prayer. When you came into my mouth, opened wide enough to forget how to swallow light. This surrendering, the body is my skin, tracing starved beauty and climax. Us, lying in the dark, shadow of another Lord. Give me your dying words, like Father, for my tongue, disappearing before you. Relicipsy. So tell me this. When you've forgotten how to open your lips into my name, Father, which is another way to say shadow, failed daylight, you say the sky touching the body. I find myself entering a night again wounded, enough for the snow, shined with moon, to reorder the stars with our faces, broken through with so many American mouths, like ghosts singing the very last bright word they remember. Amen. There's a lot in that poem. There's a lot. Yeah. Wow. I can see why you like him. You probably have a great time discussing it in class. Yeah, I actually taught this poem in... um, So here's what I love about this book. I taught this poem in a creative writing, a poetry workshop, and I also taught this very poem in uh, a class in the Honors College, uh, this class on global poetry. Oh, cool. um, and it kind of, in one class I talked about this kind of a, these amazing line breaks. I wish you could see um, the poem on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, this poem is kind of a master class uh, on where to kind of break the line. Uh-huh. Um, so when he... So in you know poets always have to figure out a place to stop the poetic line and then start a new line, and he breaks that line in the most interesting and unexpected places. Mm. And usually the last line, the last word of a line, or the first word of a new line in one of his poems, has this kind of uh, double meaning, mm-hmm. like father or lord, um, name, shadow, wounded. Um, it's really um, just absolutely master, masterfully crafted. Oh, great. Okay, well, I'm really glad we could do this. And um, I am too. More, yeah, so folks, you're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. We're talking with Dean Rader, one of the co-editors of Native Voices, Indigenous American Poetry, Craft, and Conversations. I'm Charlie Rossiter, your host. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Mundley. 
And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>